afternoon, church. How's everybody feeling? Nice and cool? Yeah. You know, I was so excited to, to preach and, and be with you guys today that we just had to go straight into the sermon. And, uh, and I'm, I'm really excited that we get to be together. I see a lot of you guys fanning, fanning yourselves. That's okay. That's the Holy Spirit creating the heat in here. And it's going, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a fiery sermon today. Um, so we're going to be continuing in our summer series that we've been doing here, going through Hebrews 11, uh, called Walk by Faith. And today we're going to be discussing our next hero in chapter 11. One of my favorite characters of Bible, of the Bible, maybe one of the best characters of the Bible, and that's Jacob. And if you didn't know, this is actually my namesake. I was named after Jacob, and I was really proud of that for a while. And my parents told me about the story about Jacob wrestling with God, and I was like, this is so cool. It's awesome. And then you really, you look up the, what his name actually means. His name, his name means heel grabber, also known as the deceiver. And I'm like, awesome, I'll just go by Jake. That's, 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 that works well for me. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking about Jacob, and he is an incredible, incredible man in the Bible. Uh, but interestingly enough, he only makes a very, very short appearance in Hebrews 11. Not much is really said about him. I want to show you here what it says. It says in verse 21, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Now, it's interesting, because of all the things that could have been said about Jacob and his life, the reason he's mentioned as a hero of faith is at the end of his life, he blessed his kids and he worshipped. Right? Now, I don't know how you feel about this exactly, because he's mentioned in some pretty amazing company, right? Like with, we, we've been talking about Noah, we talked about Abraham, he's there with Moses, he's there with all these incredible men and women of the Bible that you're like, man, their story is so faithful and so awesome. And then there's this kind of this little sentence thrown in there about Jacob, that he was old. Amen for those who are a little bit more seasoned in life. He blessed his kids. Amen. He was trying to be a good dad and a good grandfather. And he worshipped. But this leads us to kind of ask a question about this, though. Why? Why is Jacob mentioned as a hero of faith? For this, Or maybe a better question, and kind of what we're going to get in the meat of here today, is what is it about the subject of worship that maybe we're missing? What is it about worship that God took note of in Jacob and said, this is a man of faith? And today what we're going to be doing, as I mentioned, I'm already up here. We're only like 10, 15 minutes into service, and I'm already up here. Um... Today's going to be a little different. We're going to do the sermon on the front end. And then what we're going to do is we're actually going to have a time of singing that's going to fit into this bigger picture of our discussion on worship. And then as part of that, we're going to take communion and our offering together at the end. But all of it is really supposed to be about a discussion about what God, what the Bible teaches us about worship. And it's good for us to occasionally kind of get out of our normal pattern of like, okay, we've got two songs, welcome, two songs, communion, one song, like, you know, like the normal church rhythm, and kind of be reminded of the bigger picture of worship. It's not about the cadence as much as about the presence, and we'll talk about that. 
But the title of my sermon here today for us is Take a Knee. And if you got your notebooks, you're going to need them. Because there's going to, you're going to need, I'm going to encourage you guys to take a lot of notes. Because we're going to go through a number of scriptures here today. But I'm going to say a word of prayer here and then we're going to jump in to our discussion. Father, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity to come be in your presence and to, to worship you together. And God, even I, I want to pray that you help to redefine our perspective and our attitude of worship here today. That, that what we bring to you, how we do it, everything about it, God, would be different by the end of this service. And not for an emotional reason, not because of the music, not because of anything great that I said, but because, God, that you are showing us the kind of worship that you, the kind of worshipers that you desire for us to be. And I pray that you really lead our discussion here. Please help us to, to be focused and engaged, to block out the things, the distractions with the heat and everything, and just for us to be present here with you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this is an incredibly rich subject of the Bible that often gets very misrepresented. I don't want to say misinterpreted, I would say misrepresented. Or what happens is we tend to get little pieces of worship that are true with kind of missing the bigger picture. And there's a question that I wanted to kind of start off with here. Let's see if I, did, if I wrote it up there. Okay. What comes to mind when you think of worship? Actually, I'm, I'm going I'm to take some hands here for a second. When you think of worship, what comes to mind? Darren. Okay, connecting with God. Connor. Singing. Reverence. Praise. Love. Okay, anybody else in the back? Anybody? Oh, you guys are avoiding me right now. Because I got a wireless mic. I can just walk back there and pick somebody. All right, here, I'll go Mimi. Gratefulness. Okay, gratitude. Anything else in the back? Let me get somebody from the back. Huh? Isaiah 6, you, gotta, you, gotta, you can't just throw that out there. You've got to say something. Okay, the angels worshiping God, right? That's a powerful one. So they're hiding their face with their wings and stuff. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty crazy description. Anything else? Last one. What was that? Wild abandonment. That's a good one. I like that. Okay, Vivian, you're the last one. Faithful people being together. Right. And all these things are true. None of these things are wrong. None of these things are outside the scope of worship. But depending on kind of where we're at, what our experience and our relationship with God has been, even kind of music you like sometimes, it can very much frame our thinking about what worship can look like. And it can mean a lot of different things, especially in our churchy world. We live in a very churchy country, right? There's a video I found that was made by a church to talk about what worship is. How to worship properly. Worship is an essential element to church life and an individual's walk with God. It's encouraged that everyone participates in worship. Here, I'll start it back over. How to worship properly. Worship is an essential element to church life and an individual's walk with God. It's encouraged that everyone participates in worship. If not, you're simply out of the group. For some people, worship may not come as natural as it does to others. There may be people who feel unnerved and unsure how to effectively worship. Well, no need to worry. This careful, put-together, step-by-step guide will be sure to have you exactly in the worship groove you're looking for. Clapping Most praise songs are upbeat and cause for a little clapping to take place. If you're unsure when to clap... 
Here are a few helpful tips. Number one, watch the person next to you. Mimic their every clap and you'll be sure to fit in. Number two, watch the worship leader's foot. This is a sneaky hint that many miss, but we have known proof that every worship leader will tap their foot to the exact beat. Number three, if tip one and two don't work, watch the drummer. When he or she hits the snare drum, clap. Dancing. Here at Regen, we believe in dancing. And big text. So to begin the first element, dancing, here are a few simple steps or moves. Number one, jump up and down to the tune of the song. Number two, hop on one leg. Number three, the knee crunch. Number four, marching on the spot. Make sure you're in time. Number five, the Campbell move. Warning, dancing is only allowed in praise songs. Do not bust out your moves or steps in a worship song. That's totes awkward. Lifting your hands. Here at Bayside, many people raise their hands. This may seem strange at first, but soon enough you will have the urge to be just like everyone else. Look before you raise. This simply means to check the distance that you have between yourself and the person next to you. We recommend here at Regen a one meter distance is acceptable. Next is to check you're wearing appropriate deodorizer. The beautiful fragrance of perfume can be damaged by your own personal hygiene. And this is very damaging to others. Please be considerate. Lastly, facial expressions. It's vital in worship that your face is sincere and focused on God. To get the face you want, begin to bend over slightly with your hands raised. Now, imagine you've just sucked on a lemon. There you go. <laughs> now you have it. Another essential element is to have your eyes closed at all times. If you really do need to relax your eye muscles for a moment, then please stare at the ceiling. This makes people think that you're trying to look for God in the ceiling. Well, there you have it, folks. <laughs> so you got an idea there. Uh, the word that's actually used in Hebrews 11 when it describes Jacob worshipping, it's a Greek word. It means pros, it's proskuneo. And it's translated as to worship, but specifically to pay homage, to show reverence, to kneel down before, and to kiss the hand. And this is, a, this is a very important definition for us as we think about what worship can look like for us. Because in the New Testament, this specific word, proskuneo, is mentioned over 50 times. And each time, it's translated only three, really only three ways. The Bible mentions people worshiping, kneeling, or falling down. And there's some interesting things about this. Each time the word was used, it doesn't mention what they did as an act of worship outside of the position that they were in. It just says they worshipped or they bowed down. So it doesn't say whether they were singing, whether they were praying. It doesn't specify what the specific act of worship was. It talks about the position that they were in while it was going on. And maybe there's something more important to, to focus on with this is in the New Testament, when this word showed up, it was never something that Jesus did. 
but something that people did at Jesus' feet. And there are some incredibly significant things that we got to take from this. There's a saying I want us to remember here for today. Worship is about presence and posture, not as much about particulars or preferences. I'm going to say it one more time. What this word teaches us in the Greek is that worship is about your presence and your posture, not as much about the particulars of how to worship or your preferences of what you think you like for worship. Is that clear? What this means is that God cares about how we do the worship. He does. The specifics are there in the Bible. But he is way more interested in our recognition of who we are here to worship and the physical and spiritual posture that we come in before God. i got two points for us today. Very simple. I've been doing pointless sermons, now I'm doing a two-point sermon. The first point is presence. Open your Bible to Genesis 28. We're going to look back at Jacob. You with me? I'm occasionally going to ask that, not for my own insecurity, but because I want to make sure people aren't passing out. So don't take it personally. Genesis 28, verse 16. So what has been happening here is this is actually, uh, Jacob is on the run from his brother Esau, and he gets to this place, uh, eventually called Bethel, and he's laying down and he has his dream, the famous dream that, Jesus is, or, or that Jacob is known for, where he sees angels coming down this stairway to heaven, right, where Led Zeppelin got their inspiration. Um, so the stairway to heaven dream just happened and he just woke up. Starting in verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I will return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a tenth. Let's stop there. So when Jacob woke up from this incredible experience, it was the first time that God had appeared to him to start this new relationship with Jacob. After he witnesses all this, his immediate response was, God is here. He is here in this place. I didn't even realize he was here. What he had just witnessed completely blew his mind. As you can imagine it would us, watching a stairway from heaven and angels coming up and down from it. That'd be a pretty interesting spectacle. But it also made him recognize the truth that he had always been in the presence of God. It wasn't the place itself that was special. It was God's presence was there with him. He just didn't realize it. 
And this experience, is, it, he says it was incredible. It also says that he was terrified. That seeing God in that kind of spectacle was like, I don't even know how to process this. It's too much. But he said, but this place is awesome. That was his attitude. And his response to this was he said he took the stone he was laying on, because for some reason back then, laying on a rock was how you slept. We're very pampered. But he took this, this stone and he set it up as an altar to remind him that where he was was God's house. It wasn't a building. It wasn't a synagogue. It wasn't a temple. It wasn't a church. Him being out in the open field, laying on a rock, was God's house. And his response to this is, look, I'm going to set this up as a, as a memorial here. I'm gonna, not a memorial, as, a, as an altar. Pour, you poured oil on it to sanctify it. And he said, and also he said, man, because God is with me, if he continues to walk with me, everything that I have from here on out, he gets a tenth of it. This is a powerful thing, because nothing had been written down to tell him that that's how he should respond to God. But this is also how people responded to Jesus at times, once they recognized who he was. After Jesus walked on water in Matthew 14, 33, it says, oh, what? did I skip it? Let's see if it's up there. Nope, I missed it. All right, it's fine. Um, in Matthew 14, 33, it says, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. That word proskuneo shows up again. So they worshipped him. They fell down at Jesus' feet. When they realized that Jesus had the power to walk on water and calm the storm, they were like, you, you're God. This is clear. We've been in your presence this whole time and didn't realize it. When they realized who Jesus was and what he was capable of, they couldn't help but worship. Proskuneo. I'm going to say that word a lot. This is where we have to start evaluating our own praise of God. In Psalm 42, one of my favorite scriptures about worship, in verse 1, David writes here, he says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And this is such a cool scripture, such a a cool verse to me. Because David is talking about something that God put inside each and every one of us. All of us who were made in our image were born with this thing in us. This longing, this thirst, this desire to be in God's presence. The very heart and nature of worship is about our proximity to God. The closeness, the walking relationship that God wants us to have with Him. To worship God faithfully, we have to start by recognizing that you and I, as we sit here right now, are in the presence of the Almighty. Has nothing to do with this church building, nothing to do with the temperature, nothing to do with how you feel about life. We, as we sit, as we stand, as wherever you are, are in the presence of the Almighty. Because we are here together in His name, 
We are in the attendance of the divine. Let that sink in for a moment. God is here. He's close. He's watching. He's listening. He wants us to feel his presence here. In Matthew 18, 20, Jesus tells them, he says, For where two are gathered, two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Jesus is echoing this promise, this understanding that when we come in the name of Jesus, in the name of God, He is here. This is not some metaphysical thing. This is real. God is here. How amazing is this? I should yell. Jacob yelled. He said, this is awesome. Because if we recognize this to be true, how would this affect what we do? As we continue even in this discussion about what worship should look like, we have to start with, if we know that God is here, how does that change what we do next? If you know that God is listening, He's watching, He is present, He is here, how would that affect the way you sing? And that's what we'll talk about here in point number two. Posture. Flip over to Genesis 47. We're going to read the story in Genesis that Hebrews 11 mentions here. Picking up in verse 28. It's a lot of pages turning. I'll give it a second. All right, and it reads, Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. You think you feel old. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out, to Egypt, out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. I'm going to stop there. So this is actually kind of an interesting picture because it's, it's a little bit sad to see Jacob at this phase of his life, but it's also an incredibly powerful picture. At the end of his life of 147 years, he's so weak and feeble. The very next chapter, right after that part, it says that he's, he's, he has to rally his strength to even sit up in bed. He can't really get up on his own anymore. And I'm sure at this stage of his life, he's evaluating where his life has been. But what it tells us that he was mainly thinking about was what would happen to his family after he was gone. Would they be taken care of? As I'm getting ready to move on, 
to be gathered to my fathers, are my family going to be taken care of? And what he does is he says he makes this covenant with Joseph, with his son, about the future of his family. But afterwards, after this whole thing happens, this, this covenant, okay, make sure my family's taken care of. It says that Jacob proskuneoed on the top of his staff. This old, weak man pulls himself out of bed, sets his staff up on the edge of his bed to kneel forward and worship God. Is this what God was expecting of Jacob at this stage of his life? You think at 147, God's like, all right, get up, time to worship. Probably not. But this is incredibly powerful to me about what it communicates about Jacob's heart. When you look over his life, if you ever study out the life of Jacob sometime, you can see these really cool depictions of specific times that he worshipped God. Where he made offerings, he set up altars, he praised or prayed to God in very specific ways. What we can see about his life is that throughout his life, he was very aware and sensitive to the presence of God. That in each of these these crowning moments of his life, he, he, he understood God is here. So it was important to him here at the end of his life, as he was about to breathe his last breaths, that he posture himself in a place of honor before God one last time. Even though I'm going to meet with God, it is important to me that I get out of this bed to fall down before the God of my fathers. Right after this is when he blessed all of his kids and grandkids for their future and that they were going to carry on God's promise to him from Abraham. And I think he was extra aware as the time was drawing near to die that God was there. That God was, God's presence was felt in that room. So this old man, old man bows down the best he could. The best he could at that stage of his life. He couldn't get on his knees, but he could lean on his staff. I want you to think for a moment, because it says right after this is when his kids and his grandkids were blessed for their futures. I want you to think for a moment of the impact that this had on his family. As they're watching their frail father and grandfather pull himself out of bed during his last moments to worship his God. What did this communicate to them? As he was getting ready to go, as they were now going to be thinking about their life without him and what his life had been, what would that communicate to them about where God should be to them? When you know you're in the presence of God, it should affect your posture. It should affect the way you sit, the way you stand, the way you carry your body language. You know, they say, I think, like, 
80% of communication is all body language. Your posture matters when it comes to worship before God. In the New Testament, there are many times where it says that when people, uh, that when people saw Jesus, when they saw where he was at, they ran up to him and they proskuneoed at his feet. They fell down. They knelt down. They grasped his heels. They grabbed his feet. Mary, as she was, as she was weeping at Jesus' feet, she's proskuneoing with her tears on his feet, wiping her, his feet with her hair. That's proskuneo. Just like in the movies. We've seen this many, many times over the years. When you're, they're talk, you know, people are talking with somebody and they realize they're in front of royalty. And they immediately drop down. When you recognize that you're in the presence of the Almighty, it should make you hit your knees. And there is something to be said about our physical posture. Let me get on my knees for a second. The Bible talks a lot about getting on your knees. It also talks about raising your hands, holy hands in prayer. I know when the last time you've ever been in this position before, I'll tell you right now, even as I'm behind this stand, this is a very vulnerable place to be. This is not comfortable. I do not want to preach like this very long. This immediately changes my attitude and my perspective. This changes the way I look at you guys. This, this changes what I say. The Bible also talks about bowing your head. About where you look. But more than our physical posture, Jesus is trying to concern us with something more important. Your spiritual, your mental, and your emotional posture before God. In John 14, 23, he's talking to the woman at the well. He says, yet a time is coming, has now come, when the true worshipers, the true proskuneos, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. In Romans 12.1, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper proskuneo. What Jesus and Paul, I think, are both trying to tell us here is that there is a huge heart thing that we cannot miss. God wants people that are present and worshiping in a spirit of truth. A communion with Him. That's what, this, that's what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be, a communion, a closeness with Him that leads us to a place, as Paul says here, that says, man, I am a sacrifice. Everything in my life, from the words of my lips, the actions that I take, the desires of my heart, 
I'm laying them here on an altar of sacrifice as worship to God. Now, like I mentioned before, the things we do in worship are important. And they help our hearts to get there. Sometimes there's just that part of us that we're not, we don't feel like we're totally there yet emotionally in our hearts. You know, you walk through the door and you're just like, man, it's so hot in here. It's been such a long day already. And you're, you're, just, you're stuck in you. And doing the things helps to lead your heart to worship. But what God is really looking for at the end of the day is a heart that says, man, I want to honor God no matter what it takes. This goes far beyond a Sunday service, far beyond a midweek, far beyond the songs we sing. It goes into every single waking moment of our lives can be proskuneo. And Jesus actually even warns with this, scripture that I'm sure we're all familiar with, that if our heart isn't given over to God, then we're guilty of wandering down the road of the Pharisees. And Matthew 15, 8 says, These people come near to me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Part of why this sermon is not geared around, this is how you sing, this is how you give, this is how you... Jesus doesn't care about that in the big picture of things. It's important, but it's not the most important. He says, you can do the things. And still be as far away from God as the Roman soldiers at the foot of the cross. Literally in the presence, the blood and sweat of Jesus. And still missing. But when our hearts are there. Everything we do will be an act of worship. Let that sink in. When you recognize that we are in the presence of God Almighty, we are walking with the divine. And there's a heart, there's a desire there, there's a posturing before God of saying, I want to give you the best that I can give you in my weakened spiritual, emotional state. Maybe all I can do is lean on a staff, but God, I'm going to give you what I can give you. What kind of worship would be in this room? There's a time in 2 Samuel I love where it says all the singers, all the musicians, they're playing this music. They're offering up to God and God shows up in a cloud and makes it so dense that nobody can even see each other anymore. I think he was so fired up by the worship of that group that he was just like, man, this is too much. I can't take it. I'm not going to let you look at each other right now. This is so awesome. With that in mind, I do want to share some things here. Because the New Testament is rich with details on how to worship. For those of you that are those kinds of people, the detail people. The New Testament talks about singing. In Ephesians 5.19, that every single voice is important. And it doesn't matter how good of a singer you think you are or not. God is your father and he wants to hear his children's voice. So he wants you to sing just like you do when you're in the car alone or when you're in the shower alone and nobody's around and you're just fired up about life. Because all of us do it. Right? So if you know that you're in the presence of God, you should want to do it here. In tithes and offerings, 
What we give to God actually does matter as an act of worship. Jacob, when he realized that he was in the presence of God and how awesome it was, he says, look, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that I have. Animals, rocks, whatever it is, it's yours. Because that is an act of worship. Communion, the Lord's Supper that we're going to take here in a little while together. That's an act of worship. It's proskuneo, it's posturing and falling before the feet of God for what Jesus has done to be close to us. Even the way you dress, you know that matters? Have you ever studied that out in the Bible? Paul rebuked the church in Corinth because they came in dressed like prostitutes. I said, you think that is propriety? Now, does it mean that there's a specific dress code that we're going to start enforcing here at church? No. Take a breath. I think shorts and sandals are okay. But it should change what you put on. It should change. If you'll dress up to go out on a date with your spouse or with your friend or with your boyfriend, girlfriend, then you should dress up for God. And prayer. One of the most significant communions, proskuneoing to God that we can do. To literally lay on our knees with holy hands lifted up saying, Father, thank you. Let me tell you where my heart is. Let me lift my voice to you. How would we do these things if you recognize that you're in the presence of God? If we understood that he was here with us, watching and listening, not just to make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to do, but a lovingly engaging like a father with his children, listening to them sing praises and give gifts out of the overflow of their hearts to him. That's one of my favorite things as a dad, to listen to my daughter sing out. Singing in general, but listening to her sing out to God. We're going to sing a song here a little bit later that my daughter loves to sing. It's one of the reasons why I even wanted to sing it today. is because listening to my daughter with her pure heart and voice lift up her praise to her God, that just, ah! And that's how God feels when his children worship. The last thing I want to bring up to you about worship is this. In Genesis 32.10, Jacob prays. This is right before he's about to wrestle with God, that famous, that famous scene. He's praying to God and he says, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. Here's the most amazing part of worship. That you and I, as messed up people, Sinful, selfish, sometimes completely oblivious to life and everybody else. We get to be in the presence of God. Part of the story of worship, Jacob in the Bible, is God taking this man who is a liar, just straight up, it was in his name, it was in his life. The dude was messed up as long as the day is long. 
what God said is that this messed up man, that's my son. You know why he's a man of faith? Because he knew how to proskuneo me. He knew how to posture himself in my presence and recognize that I am the God Almighty. You know what's cool about this is that that's what Jesus did for us. Stooped down. God stooped down in an angel to wrestle with Jacob. Jesus stooped down as God in the flesh so that he could be close to us in our sinful state. Jacob is a hero because he spent his fault-filled life trying to praise God until the day he died. I want to share one last story here real quick because this happened this week. Um, There's a young man when I was in college uh, who had grown up going to this church his whole life. Didn't really want to have much to do with God. He was a very talented baseball player. He ended up deciding that he was going to go to college to go play baseball. Got a scholarship. It all worked out. While he was driving to college, was in a car accident that threw him from the car and it left him brain damaged. So he ended up getting rushed back to Gainesville, Florida, where he was in the hospital there for years, or for, for a while, recovering, and up getting to a place where he could finally communicate. When he did communicate, he said, I need to study the Bible. I need to get right with God. He could only speak about one word at a time. It was very minimal. This young man studied the Bible, and he ended up becoming your brother in Christ. And through his minimal communication and what he could do, he was one of the most joyful, out-of-himself people you ever met. Walk around on crutches. We had this yearly dance in Gainesville that we would do with the church. And he got out there on his crutches and was moving it and stuff. And Manny was always out there. And, and he and I kind of had a little bit of a relationship about as much as we could because he couldn't really communicate. Um, a couple months ago, we were, we were visiting the church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Manny was there. And I haven't seen him in about eight or nine years. I didn't think I would maybe ever see him again. And, uh, and this time... His therapy had gone so well, he could now talk in full sentences. So it was the first time I'd ever been able to actually have a conversation with him. And, I mean, I was just floored. I mean, it was totally God, because he lived in Florida. He was up there for the weekend, the same weekend that we happened to be out there visiting. It was totally God. Uh, We left North Carolina. He ended up sending me a message on Facebook saying, Hey, man, I wanted to show you a video of my my testimony, because his story was so crazy they, wanted, they, did, they did a little study, a little documentary of him for the college that he was at because it took him eight years to finish community college because his story was so amazing. So he said, I want to share that my testimony with you, and I hope this helps you in your faith. I told him thank you and stuff. Um, on June 27th, I got word that Manny was killed in a car accident. And it was kind of a weird thing to find out because I wasn't necessarily all that close to him. Um, About as close as we could be, I guess. But it's just so weird to me that I got a chance to see him one month before he was killed. So I looked back over the videos that he sent and stuff and was just kind of reminiscing about who he was as a young man. 
I stumbled upon the last thing he ever posted publicly. Three hours before he was killed. I got this at teen camp. And I just started sobbing. Because the last thing that he left this earth with was reminding us of proskuneo. Of worship. Manny's life, to the best that he could do it, he wanted to direct people to God and to Jesus. And this, if I could choose one thing that I could leave the world with the day that I die, that would be it. If my children will remember one thing about me on the last day of my life, I hope it's like Jacob. On the last day of my life, I'm worshiping my God. But this is about us and our life and our connection to him. And the rest of the service, we're going to have a chance to put this into practice together. We're going to sing. We're going to take communion. We're going to have a chance to be in the presence of God here together. But again, we've got to start by recognizing he is here. He is here with us. He is good. He is faithful. And he deserves our best praise and our best posture. So I'm going to say a word of prayer here. We're going to hit the lights and we're going to have the worship leaders come back up on stage. And we're going to spend some time singing.